In every respect, the court today exceeds its proper limited role in our nation's governance. At the behest of a party that has suffered no injury, the majority decides a contested public policy issue properly belonging to Congress and the executive and the people they represent. The court today determines that some 40 million Americans will not receive student loan assistance that Congress authorized and the Secretary of Education put in place because, so says the court, that assistant is just too significant. In hearing this case at all, and then in striking down the Secretary's loan forgiveness program for that reason, the court's opinion today departs from the demands of self-restraint. The court today does what courts should not. Congress enacted the HEROES Act to empower the Secretary of Education to provide relief to student loan borrowers when a national emergency struck. The Secretary's authority under the Act was bounded. He could do only what was necessary to alleviate the emergency's impact on affected borrowers' ability to repay their loans. But within those bounds, Congress gave discretion to the Secretary. He could, and I'm quoting the statutory language here, waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applying to federal student loan programs, including provisions relating to loan forgiveness. And in doing so, he could replace the old provisions with, and again I'm quoting, new terms and conditions. The secretary, that is, could give the relief that was needed in the form he deemed best to counteract the effects of a national emergency on borrowers' ability to repay. That congressional authorization may have been a good idea, or it may have been a bad idea. Either way, it was what Congress said. When COVID hit, two secretaries serving two different presidents decided to use their HEROES Act authority. The first suspended loan repayments and interest accrual for all federally held student loans. The second continued that policy for a time and then replaced it with the loan forgiveness plan at issue. Under that plan, the secretary scratched the pre-existing conditions for loan discharge and specified different conditions, opening loan forgiveness to more borrowers. That may have been a good idea, or it may have been a bad idea. Either way, the secretary did only what Congress had told him he could. The court's first overreach in this case is deciding it at all. Under Article III of the Constitution, federal courts do not exercise general oversight of the legislative and executive branches. A person challenging the legality of a government policy must have standing, must have suffered its own concrete injury. It's not enough to oppose a government policy, and it's not enough to assert a third party's interests or injury. The plaintiff needs a personal stake in the litigation. If there is no such stake, a court must stop in its tracks. To decide the case is to exceed the judicial role and to violate the Constitution. That is what the court does today. Six states have appeared in this court to challenge the loan forgiveness plan. They oppose the plan, of course, but that's not enough to create a case the court can hear. The states need to show an injury, 
And that's not easy to come up with here. How is a state injured by a plan that reduces individual borrowers' federal student loan debt? So these six states have thrown everything they can dream up against the wall, four different theories of injury, hoping that a court eager to get to the merits will say that one of them sticks. And the court today does say that, choosing the theory offered up by Missouri. That theory, as you've heard, relies on an injury suffered by a public corporation called Mihila. Mihila services student loans. When loans are canceled, Mihila doesn't get fees for servicing them. So Mihila has a plausible claim that it is injured by the Secretary's plan. So far, so good. If Mihila were the plaintiff in this suit. But it is not. Search everywhere, you will not find Mihila. Mihila could have been the plaintiff in this suit. Like corporations generally, Mihila has the power to sue and be sued. But it had no interest in suing. In fact, when Missouri asked for Mihila's cooperation in the state suit, Mihila refused. Mihila, as an independent entity, you can tell it's independent because it refused. Mihila can take the actions it sees fit. And Mihila wanted to stay as far away from this litigation as it possibly could. Now, under our usual law, that would be the end. Because a bedrock principle of standing law is that a plaintiff does not get to piggyback on someone else's injury. If the person injured doesn't want to bring suit, then there shouldn't be a suit. We don't allow third parties to fill in. So a court attending to its proper role, a court acting like a court, would have stopped right there. The majority does not stop. The majority says that it doesn't have to follow the usual rules, the usual ban on third party standing, because Mihila is a public instrumentality, meaning that it was created by Missouri to serve a function the states thought important. But the state created Mihila as a corporation. That first means that Mihila is a separate legal entity with separate legal rights and interests. Before today, the state has never represented Mihila in court. Mihila handled all of its own litigation. And Mihila's corporate form means as well that it is financially independent from the state. Its assets are not state assets, and its debts are not state debts. So no one here can claim, in fact, no one does claim, that the revenue loss Mihila suffers is passed through to the state. It is not. Whatever injury Mihila incurred because of the Secretary's plan was incurred by Mihila alone. So again, under our usual rules, only Mihila should be able to sue. Now those rules may seem technical, but they serve the most crucial of functions. They keep courts acting like courts. They prevent courts from becoming forums for settling ideological and political disputes. That's what this court has become today. Is there a person in America who thinks Missouri is here because it is worried about Mahila's loss of loan servicing fees? I think not. Missouri and the other five states are here because they think the Secretary's plan is bad policy. They could be right or not. Our standing rules are designed to keep that kind of political issue in the political branches and away from the courts. 
In ignoring those rules, the majority decides a matter it has no business deciding. The majority acts as though it is an arbiter of political and policy disputes, rather than of legal cases or controversies. And the majority continues overstepping when it turns to the merits. For years, this court has instructed that the way to keep judges' policy views out of judicial decision-making is to hew to a statute's text. The HEROES Act's text settles the legality of the Secretary's loan forgiveness plan. Remember what I said before about the breadth of the delegation to the Secretary that Congress approved. When a national emergency strikes, the Secretary can modify regulations about student loans. He can waive regulations about student loans. That's, I think, the Chief Justice said, means abolish. He can do whatever is in between. And in doing any of those things, he can devise new terms and conditions governing student loans to take the old law's place. That is just what the statute says. That's what the Secretary complied with. He scratched the existing conditions in several statutory and regulatory provisions dealing with loan forgiveness. And then he altered those provisions by specifying new conditions, which opened up loan forgiveness to more borrowers. In other words, just as the statute allows, and again I'm quoting here, he waived and modified pre-existing law, and in so doing applied new terms and conditions in lieu of the old. So how does the majority avoid that conclusion? First, by picking the statutory language apart, by not reading it whole, as a court must. And in particular, as you've heard, by reading the statute as if it really contained only the word modify, which suggests only incremental change. But the statute doesn't contain only that word. Modify is part of a couplet, wave or modify. Wave, again, meaning eliminate, pretty significant change. The two together mean major change or minor change or anything in between. And the statute makes clear that the secretary can replace those waived or modified provisions with new ones. So again, either major or minor. The statute was, after all, designed to empower the secretary to alleviate the economic impact of a national emergency on the ability of borrowers to repay their loans. Under the majority's reading, the secretary is powerless to do that, whether through this loan forgiveness program or any other significant loan relief effort. That is not the statute Congress wrote. And so we come to the second part of the majority's analysis, where it forthrightly ignores the statutory language. This is the opinion's tell. When a court thinks it has a good argument from the text of the statute, it lays that argument out, and it ends. Not this opinion. This opinion goes on to say that whatever the statute's text conveys, it doesn't matter. However broad the delegation Congress approved, it doesn't matter. Because this court, and I'm quoting here again, this court has concerns over the exercise of administrative power. So it just won't accept broad delegations of the kind Congress made here. Now that approach, the court has called it the major questions doctrine, prevents Congress from doing its policymaking job in the way it thinks best. Congress delegates broadly for a whole host of sound reasons, 
but most often because it's hard to identify and enumerate every possible application of a statute to every possible condition years in the future. But the majority won't let Congress do its job that way. And that's a problem not just for governance, but for democracy. Congress is a representative institution, and agency officials serve a president with the broadest of all political constituencies. So policy judgments, political judgments, are supposed to come from those two branches, whose activities the people can respond to and influence. But they don't when the court refuses to respect the full scope of Congress's delegations to the executive. When that happens, the court ends up making national policy. That is not what courts are supposed to do under our Constitution. And that's what's most wrong with today's decision. Wielding its judicially manufactured major questions sword, the court refuses to acknowledge the plain words of the HEROES Act. It declines to respect Congress's decision to give broad emergency powers to the Secretary. It strikes down his lawful use of that authority to provide student loan assistance. It does not let the political system with its mechanisms of accountability operate as normal. It makes itself the decision maker on, of all things, student loan policy. The majority says that matter is theirs to decide. So in a case that is not a case, because no plaintiff has suffered an injury. The majority overrides the combined judgment of the legislative and executive branches with the consequence of eliminating some $10,000 of loan forgiveness for each of 43 million Americans. With respect, Justice Sotomayor, Justice Jackson, and I dissent.